Hello, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. From personal experience and observation, I have long known that all of the arts are powerful expressions that enable many things, sometimes all at once. The arts reveal and bring understanding. Sometimes what is revealed or uncovered is insight into the way things are, into reality. Sometimes prophetically what is revealed is insight into what is false, destructive, and needs to be questioned, challenged, and changed. Sometimes what is revealed is what is felt, love, sorrow, wonder, tragedy, even the unexpressible. The arts can motivate people, change people, heal, change the world and what they express and reveal. Most importantly, the arts are gifts God uses to reveal and help us more fully encounter God in God's self. The arts evoke and are often the media of worship and the fellowship of shalom. For all of these reasons and more, enabling you to experience the arts is integral to this podcast. In this episode, I introduce you to Foundling House and some of the artists involved with it. This episode has three segments. We begin by talking with the founders. If you have been listening to this podcast, you may know Adam Whipple. We listened to and spoke of his music in episode 14. Joining him today with me are Jana Barber and Janine Joyner, who were editors along with Adam of the Foundling House materials. Next, we will get to hear a song by the couple, Stephen and Rachel Mosley. And then we will get to hear a poem that was written and will be read by Rachel. The third segment will be a poem written and read by Christopher Yokel, and then a poem written by Jana. So I hope that you will enjoy these artists and that you will go to Foundling House and enjoy the resources that they post there. Well, thank you for being with me tonight. Uh, welcome. I appreciate your time. Uh, so let's talk about Foundling House. Uh, how did it get started? Uh, what do y'all do? Who wants to go first? <laughs> um, I'll try. Um, Foundling House was Adam's brainchild. Um, he's a big picture vision caster kind of guy. And um, we were in a writer's group for a couple of years and he said, Hey, why don't we start like a community blog and share the Knoxville writers that we've met, share our work with each other. And I said, okay. And well, he started it though. The first year he did it all by himself. And then the second year I said, you know, I could help you with that. <laughs> and um, so then another year went by and we added Palmer Gregg. And then a couple more years went by and we added Janine. So we've grown. <laughs> and yeah, they've taught me to, uh, they've taught me to delegate and, uh, 
share the workload, which I'm not good at. Well, it says on your site um, that you are a uh, kind of a focal point and a resource uh, for artists. And you have a list of things that you do. Uh, story, song, poetry, visual, and events. Yeah. Uh, that was before yeah, no, 2020. <laughs> right? Yeah, no events right now. No events right now. No yeah. events right now. But when there are events, uh, talk about each of those. Um, what's oh, the story part? What's the... Janine, okay. you've been you've been involved in a lot of stories, uh, yeah. Lately, as far as especially bringing new authors in, yeah, I, I really love it. The we really curate stories and writing from different authors, and um, I'm the newest editor, so I guess I've been with y'all for a year now, and um, you know, just bringing in local writers. I don't live in Knoxville; I live in Middle Tennessee, near Nashville. And so I've brought in some local writers that I know in my area who um, really didn't have an outlet for their writing. And so um, just being able to not only edit and coach them in their writing, but to share it and get a real diversity of voices has been really great for me. And I think it's been good overall just to give more color to those stories that are on Foundling House. Yeah. What about what about the visual part? Uh, well, we've uh, we definitely approach. I think we approach all artists storytelling uh, of one stripe or another, and so we 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 try to include all media. I think that are maybe reasonable to include on the internet uh, on a you know community blog. Not not everything lends itself to that. You can't really. I mean, you can't do theater very well, um, but uh, I don't know. Maybe one day we'll give it a try. Uh, but I do like um, – there's a – I'm going to go off the rails already. I can tell. Uh, there's a scene in a Mr. Bean movie. Uh, <laughs> this is going to go well, where he um, he's just in an art museum. The guy says, well, what do you do? And he says, I, I sit and look at the paintings. And uh, – it's it's actually it's hilarious, but it's really wonderful. And I've I'm I'm the kind of person who could sit in the museum and just look just look at the paintings. And uh, I definitely want to share good work with people who are touched in that way, people who uh, to whom the spirit speaks in that way. Is that the one where he uh, describes Whistler's mother? Yes, I love that. <laughs> Yes, where he destroys Whistler's mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. Um, well, it talks about uh, on your site that um, it is a place where you can be served by the work of great artists. What do you mean by that? I, I think it means that um, art is not something just that the artist does but that they do it for an audience and so we're hopeful that the audience that comes to foundling house uh, gains something out of what they encounter there and it's not just a place for us to promote ourselves but it actually um, especially since we uh, strive to be at the intersection of art and faith 
it will encourage them in their faith as well. Anyone else? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so let's Second. talk a little more about that. Uh, you know, being at the intersection of faith and art. Yeah. Um, how do you do that? How do you understand that from your own personal experience? I mean, um, well, there's a there's a, an element of uh, high control that uh, I think maybe even all three of us grew up under um, in growing up in the church. Uh, Janine, I don't know a lot of your background because um, because uh, um, that's not what your book was about. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Janna's book was was her background. Um, so, uh, but anyway, growing up in the church, I think we all experienced an, uh, an element of high control, uh, which in, in some in some ways is good, uh, you know, sort of firm shepherding, but in some ways uh, can can almost protect you from things that are good for you, uh, that, uh, you know, ways in which the spirit might lead you um, that feel like people don't have as much control over them. And art definitely fits into that category. And um, so uh, as much as anything, maybe for, maybe this is just for me personally, as much as anything, this feels like um, a, a kind of orthopraxy of letting go uh, of control of how the spirit speaks. Um, and that's not to say, you know, we're going to try and, uh, you know, cut and paste the Bible a la Jefferson or something. But um, that is to say that I think uh, living at the intersection of art and faith, uh, specifically Christian faith, uh, we try to be open in ways that we aren't necessarily when we're maybe doing a Bible study or listening to a sermon. And that's just out of muscle memory, really, more than anything else. Well, Jenna, you had talked about um, on your website mm -hmm. um, the importance of um, in order to have positive feelings, you have to uh, permit yourself to uh, have lament yes. uh, and periods of sadness and that um, uh, you don't like giving easy answers to tough questions. Um, how do you see that playing in what you all are doing in Foundling House? Um, well, I <laughs> think that we are fine with questions and with doubt. Um, and we want to provide space for, um, things that are messy in your faith, because um, I, the thing that I hold on to really dearly is that Christ said um, only a small seed of faith was needed to be called faith. <laughs> and so um, that means that there's a whole lot left in life that you don't know about and you have ha might have rough edges instead of neat and tidy packages. And it just seems like the Christian quote unquote Christian art that I was exposed to growing up. And even now that sells well and has 
a radio presence is a Christian faith that has all the answers and it's uh, shiny bows and neat and tidy wrapping paper. And um, so Foundling House just tries to make space for uh, people that still have faith, but maybe have more questions than they do faith. And um, because there are things we all know it intrinsically that uh, there even little kids understand that life is hard and scary and um, to pretend that it's not doesn't help anybody <laughs> in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I think that's my answer there. Janine, you want to chime in on that? Yeah, I think I really like um, what she said about just kind of breaking out of the box. And I think that that's what I have found is, you know, in, in, in reading the stories of people whose experiences and, um, you know, just culture is different than mine, it enriches my life. And being able to take their stories and stay true to their voice and make sure that, you know, their truth, even if it's messy or ugly or, you know, filled with doubt is expressed accurately is um, I think is really important. And, um, you know, for a lot of the, the writers I have worked with for, for some of them, this has been the first time they've ever published anything. And it's, it's, you know, putting your baby out there, you know, hoping people don't hurt it (laughs) because some of the memories they share with me are very, very tender and very um, still painful in a lot of ways. And so to be able to, to have that faith of knowing that God was in this story, but express it in a beautiful way, whose beauty may not be conventional is um, very powerful. Yeah. Well, Jen, I like the way that you talked about um, finding holiness uh, in everyday experiences mm-hmm. and even in the tough times. Thanks. Um, how do you all um, find yourself experiencing that, experiencing that sense of holiness in what you do? <laughs> You assume that I do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least Jenna does. (laughs) Jenna can talk about that. Uh, You know, I I remember in college, I think, first hearing about Brother Lawrence and his famous quote about washing the dishes and experiencing God there. And, um, you know, I was single and young and (laughs) had my whole life ahead of me. And that seemed like a pretty romantic notion And um, then I got married and had kids and it's a pretty, it's not just romantic. It's like earth shattering that it can actually happen, you know, (laughs) that you can have communion with Christ in the midst of hard times um, is an amazing gift. And so to limit ourselves to only look for um, that communion in a I don't know, Sunday morning, fancy dress mm-hmm. is just cutting out 80% of your life. And so, um, you know, I just, I think the art incarnation shows that God wants more than just that, that Sunday morning experience with us. 
I, I really, uh, your comparison of, of doing dishes to hard times really speaks to me. <laughs> so Jeanine, I've, you I've, I've been persecuted through a lot of casseroles. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so Janine, your thoughts on that? So say the question again, so I can refresh my. Well, in what way are, uh, are you all experience holiness? Uh, in, and, in Foundling House? Yeah, and what you're doing. For me, it comes in really um, treating the stories well and being true to the voices of the people that I'm working with. Um, you know, I work with, you know, white and black and, you know, different races, different cultures, um, and making sure that that how God created them to to communicate is honored because the way they write may not sound like I would write. You know, we all have kind of our ideas of what good writing is or good art. And, you know, we all know that can be very subjective based on your background and those sort of things. So, you know, for me, there's that challenge of, of coaching and editing and, but not making it sound like me. Yeah. And, um, you know, that can be, the, the best thing for me was when um, one of the first authors that I shared on Foundling House, um, she'd never written anything in public before. And we went through her piece and edited it. You know, I sent her the, the copy before we published it. And she said, it's like you were in my head. You know, and that felt really good that I was able to, to, to have the finished product. Be, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Yeah. You know, so I think that God has given each of us such a unique voice and and the holiness comes in being true to his identity within us and how that is expressed uniquely in each person. I feel like I need to recant because I was dismissive. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> um, I, uh, I will say my bit that, that for me, uh, at least it, it feels, it feels good to see, and, and, and not to say that we should de depend on this, but it feels good to see likes and comments, um, not because I want to count my life and my worth in likes and comments, but because that helps me know that in some small way I'm facilitating somebody doing the good work of reaching people, encouraging people, um, you know, and, and those to me are the building, those are the building blocks of the kingdom. Because in the end, all this stuff is going to go away anyway, except for the ways in which we've made each other, led each other to be closer to Christ. Well, our time for this segment's about over, but one last uh, thing from the site. Uh, you talk about the most important thing about what you do as being a source of encouragement. Definitely. I want to comment on that real quickly. Uh, yeah, I'll go. Um, since I've been writing and have submitted to lots of websites and have experienced some rejection with some of those sites, um, I think that um, we just kind of want to help be that middle ground. Like Janine said, a lot of people, it's their first time, you know, and so we're not as well known as places like the Rabbit Room or the Image Journal or you know, other, uh, great sites out there, but, um, we're, 
reaching people kind of where they are and giving them a platform um, to amplify their voices a little bit at this stage, you know, as they're just starting out. And I just, you know, think that's um, needed. There's just not a lot of places for that to happen. So, and I think that's encouraging that build their confidence and then they will continue to write more and grow in their art. So now we're in segment two of our interview, and we were joined with uh, Stephen and Rachel Mosley. So welcome. Uh, thank Mosley. you. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for being with me uh, on this. Um, let's begin a little bit with you talking about how you connected with uh, Foundling House. Uh, yeah, we um, <laughs> we started doing music on this weird whim. Uh, we were in a, kind of a, a funky little uh, eco community that was just it was a really neat place to live. And um, we had this really super elevated porch that felt like a nest. And so we'd get out there with our guitar and play some cover songs and some uh, neighbors out at us, essentially. And, and we ended up. <laughs> They, we were in our, you know, in our early thirties, I guess at the time they, and our neighbor came and said, oh my goodness, you guys sound so good. We're going to, you guys are going to play our neighborhood Mardi Gras party. And, uh, and we did, that was our first like musical thing we ever did together. And so we, we, you, we ended up playing an open mic night and ended up recording a little EP and uh, somewhere in the midst of that, we found uh, this thing called Escapes the Lake, uh, which Dave Trout does. And it's wonderful. Uh, uh, whole thing and um and so it was in it was in wisconsin and we were in atlanta georgia and uh we were just like we're gonna do it and uh you know burlap cashmere was playing and, and it was just like all of our favorite things all at one one uh beautiful camp and so we went up and with and five small children all <laughs> under the age of 10. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went up and we brought our little EP and we signed up for the, there was a songwriters boot camp before. And we, I mean, we had no clue what we we're doing and, and we, and everyone was just so wonderful and nice. And, and, you know, and, and so we played, a, uh, there was an open mic thing and, and uh, Adam Whipple happened to be the, uh, the <laughs> MC for the thing. And, and uh, <laughs> he said very little to us in Adam style. He, he kind of, you know, nodded at us a little bit. And, intimidating big beard. And, you know, <laughs> we were a little afraid of him. And then, <laughs> the next morning. So this camp, you're all like in a dining hall kind of situation. So I'm filling up my soda or whatever. And Adam Whipple's standing next to me and goes, Hey, good singing last night. <laughs> <laughs> and then he walks away and I'm thinking, I'm really not sure about that guy. I <laughs> doesn't know this, but I, I remember thinking like right at that moment, like, well, let's see what God does with this, this guy in this relationship. And then he's become one of our dearest friends and strongest supports. Yeah. So and then you fast forward a year or actually, I think we had just gotten back from, from Escape to Lake and, um, we got an opportunity to open with uh, 80s great, open for our 80s great band Air Supply in a weird circumstance. At Chastain Park in Atlanta. We played out in public maybe like three or four times. So. And so we had to put a band, like a group together for it and we couldn't find anyone. And so we just cold called Adam and he was willing to come down and play with us. And uh, it was a super sport uh, about it all. And and the, the relationship flourished from there. And, and then yeah, we had known about Family House before he'd gone and and uh and we were just waiting uh impatiently for adam to invite us to participate <laughs> and he finally did <laughs> well and and so when you write your music um you know how do you go about it 
different ways. Um, sometimes Stephen and I will take like a subject, like I'll say, let's write, let's write a song about this situation that's going on with your brother. And I'll write, and also you write separately. And we write in our email accounts or on our phone notes. And then, um, and then we'll come together and kind of hash out the lyrics. Usually, oftentimes Stephen has a strong direction for the, for the melody. Sometimes there's lots of fighting. <laughs> that was uh it was a good marriage counseling tool for us <laughs> so we learned a lot about each other you had to communicate better yeah um yeah so you know a lot of times i'll come in with you know uh you know i play the guitar so i'll come in with the you know with a, a strong music or you know a, a lyrical idea but um or i don't play the guitar but sometimes i'll come in with a strong musical idea <laughs> and make steven figure out what I'm singing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I'll come up with a strong lyrical idea and Rachel has to be the harsh critic, uh, which is also <laughs> fun. So uh, yeah, it, it kind of bounces all over the place and, you know, uh, you know, the, the beauties and the mess, I guess, and, and to some degree or another, uh, but we figure it out. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to listen to one of your songs, uh, Eider Down. Uh, so let's take, let's, let's take some time to hear that. Great. This ring I've worn for 13 years The comfort of your steady gaze The moonlight on your shoulder settled in Wrap your arms around each other Underneath the eider down Sorting out our hopes and dreams I'm a thousand miles from nowhere And you're nowhere close to me These children at my feet Your absent-minded girl Singing on the front porch Tea and a touch of gin For 13 years The way you know my smile Even when it's hard to find I'm staying up too late Hail Mary full of grace That you'll make it home again That you'll make it home to me
it's a wonderful song. Thank so tell you. us about the title. So, you know, it's, it's, this is a, actually a great songwriter's song just because it, it started, um, I remember writing the very first couple of lines to it um, when we were still in Atlanta, very early, we were still just learning to songwrite and I had a couple, just a couple of lines in it. And, and, uh, and we, we would, we hacked at that thing for years and for several years. And then it wasn't really until we put together the, uh, you know, the, the, before we went to record it. Recording the album, you know, we put that whole process together that, you know, we, we had recorded most of the album and we felt like we needed another song. And uh, um, I don't know, you know, we had these two great guys, uh, Jimmy Abeg, who who was part of Rich Mullen's Ragamuffin Band, and then Phil Madeira, who's just a, a force of his own right. And um, they were, they 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 did the recording of the album with us. And, and uh, so we were sitting out on the porch and, um, and I had that, I had kind of the start of that riff and, and Jimmy put a groove to it. And then, then Phil came in and, and uh, we had some lyric ideas, but he wasn't thrilled about them. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, he came in and we, we just really kind of, you know, after several years, finally constructed the song. That, yeah. He said, we, we kind of hummed a little bit that was missing a lyric and he said, Ooh, underneath the eider down. And I said, what is eider down? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently eider down is like a, um, like a down blanket, a down comforter, goose, a goose, goose down, down blanket, eider yeah. down, and now now we love the word. Yeah. Okay. So, how do you see that connecting uh, with faith? It's kind of it's kind of you know I, I I've thought about that actually a fair amount lately because a it's a song we wrote, wrote over several years and and where that idea started from to where we are now, um, that's that's been a, a a transition and and so you know kind of grew out of the idea of you know we were starting this thing together it was kind of a i often compare doing music together like you know starting to ballroom dance in your 30s like you know doing something like that that really kind of reconnects you and it was really good for us and and so uh you know we had a lot of friends that you know would go separate ways to do mu music uh, you know and and so it was kind of written at, out of that context of loving that we got to do that together. And, and, uh, you know, over the years, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, as you go through struggle and loss and, and just that craving for the things that are, you know, gone from you for different times and different reasons. And, um, I mean, even faith to some degree or another, you know, as you go through faith struggles and, you know, Jesus feels close at one moment and then really far away another. And, and, you know, um, you know, it's just that, that craving of togetherness and community and, um, got anything to, <laughs> no, no, like, that's, that's good to hear. Yeah. So, you know, I, well, it, and the, it's and evolved the, for sure. And the content of the song, you know, kind of talks about, uh, two people that are, are, are separated and, and are longing to be back together. Right. Uh, how, how does that play also into your understanding of, uh, fate? I want to let Rachel talk a little <laughs> She doesn't want to. Stephen doesn't know the answer. Oh, I, I think um, a lot of it with that song, we kind of imagined like, oh, this looks difficult for some of our friends who are separated doing this, going out to do music alone. And they look, they have a, a longing for their spouse and they miss being together with them. And they're, they're here helping us do music. Like sometimes Adam would leave Kat at home and he's coming to play music with us. And um, for days, you know, he would, yeah. he would travel, you know, traveling and, all of that and I don't know, maybe there's something to the sense of too like 
we don't always, you're not always together. You don't always feel together, but um, there's always that, that uniting. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the whole, the whole gist of the, the faith journey is that we're, we're trying to get back to it, um, to what, to what we were created for and, and what is Connection. best for us. So. Okay. Now in, in the song, there's, there's the uh, reference to Hail Mary. Um, and that's a very Catholic thing. We can neither confirm nor, nor deny these allegations. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you all are Catholic. We are. Stephen and I both converted and became Catholics. Um, I was in high school, and Stephen was in college. Yeah, first couple of years of college. Yeah. And so, how do you find the Catholic spirituality uh, kind of informing your music? I think it 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 really it's our I guess it's our worldview. It can't help but inform it. Um, we're not so we tried to write praise and worship type songs. We tried to write liturgical music even for the church, but um for some reason that that never really worked. For it was us. a big education and and you know the whole idea of accepting the god the gifts God gives you and, and embracing them and not not you know wishing he'd given you other things. And I, I think we have we have a, a deep empathy for the struggles of life and for uh, especially home life and children and and you know as a big uh, family. Catholic family especially yeah. yeah you know those are the things that that really hit home to us and um and the, the, you know that we're going to get there but that in the meantime it's it's not always pretty or easy and um I think we felt we'd write more directly from a faith perspective but I think you see it more just as a lens um that kind of colors the way that we think about things and the way that we write about things as Catholics okay well, Rachel, you've written a poem that you're going to read for us. Yes. Uh, so let's let's hear that. Okay. All right. This is called Small Birds. Three small birds, brown and ordinary, frequent our porch this October. Fat and round, they drink water from the dog's bowl, and the children and I laugh and watch. The birds come most every morning. The morning I leave for the doctor's office, I fill the dog's bowls, and the birds hop up the single stair. The dog sniffs my belly and I wonder, does he know a new one is coming? Could the birds know it too? For several days after the silent heartbeat, I am not the bowl filler. I stay in my bed. I don't know if anyone feeds the dog, keeps his water bowl full. October is hot here. The morning I come out again to sit, coffee beside me, the birds are there. Three birds for three lost babies, there in the yard. They do not join me on the stair or drink the dog's water. They are quiet and stay under the far tree, and I think they know that I am again alone. Hmm. That's beautiful. That's a, that's a very powerful poem, and thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you for letting me share it. It's about a, a an experience that you had with a miscarriage, right? That's right. Yes. Um, and so, how did the the birds come into into this? As you were thinking about uh, using poetry as a way of uh, uh, expressing uh, that experience, how did the birds kind of? Jerry, years ago, I took a walk with a neighbor. Um, who was not a not a not a Christian woman, but uh, and she said 
something happened while we were on the walk. I can't recall what, maybe a, a some sort of animal passed our, passed our way. And she said, oh, I always think like, the, you know, the animals are telling us something like God is using, God is using the world and the animals to, um, to show us something. And I kind of thought, oh, okay, whatever. And um, that sounds, I don't know. I, I was a bit judgy. I was polite, but a bit like, oh, that's kind of woo woo. Um, but I somehow, I mean, I've, I've come to see that and feel like, gosh, why would God, why would he not use his creation? Why would he, why would he waste that? And, um, I don't know, the, the, the birds just struck me that morning, I guess, too, from being a source of joy, um, to kind of being a source of sadness as well, but just, just kind of feeling like what's happening inside of me, like maybe God was using the natural world also to, also to speak to me a little bit. Something like that. Okay. Well, Jenna and Janine, um, when you connect with a poet or with a writer like Rachel, um, what's kind of the process that you all go through uh, in working with artists? Um, Generally for me, you know, because I'm newer to Foundling House, I've been working with them for about a year. Um, you know, most of the people that I have worked with have also been relatively new writers. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's been just giving them a, a safe place to share what they've created and let them know that, you know, I don't need the final draft. I don't have to have the perfect version that we can work on it together and get it where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. I think that's nice to hear. Adam helped me so much. Um, I didn't think of myself really as a writer, um, but I would, mm. I felt comfortable kind of shooting off. Adam would say, do you have anything for Foundling House that you might like to share? And I would think, well, I wrote this horrible poem <laughs> that I will never show anyone. And it's, it, but it was so easy, like from the comfort of my bed at 11 o'clock behind a screen that no one can see me to kind of shoot this poem off to Adam and it's part of the beauty of his curmudgeonliness is that he, you, yeah. you know, if it makes it pass Adam, it's okay. It's, it's yeah. not, it doesn't stink. He's not going <laughs> to let you embarrass right. yourself. <laughs> yeah. So he would, he would kind of send these things back to me um, with some minor changes and, and a ton of encouragement. I'm thinking, Janine, I think that's what I hear you saying too. It's just like, I was a new writer and so encouraged by Foundling House's gentleness and encouragement. Yeah. And honesty, like I think, you know, so often you throw stuff out in the world and, and, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, a, a kind quip back where it doesn't really mean anything. A thumbs up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh... Jenna, you want to chime in? Um, I would just say that my work as an editor has made me a better writer. And so that motivates me to <laughs> continue doing it. Um, I don't know how that magic works, but it's, it's just true. So uh, creating in community, I think is something I want to continue to do. So, yeah. Well, now, um, Stephen and Rachel, are, are you going to integrate these kind of two dimensions into your uh, performances? Uh, oh gosh. What a cool question, David. Are we, Stephen and I drove up to see Adam play once and he played in some tiny church and he stopped singing for a while and read out of his poetry book. And I had never seen anything like that. 
And it was so cool. And then played a Led Zeppelin cover. I mean, it was like, <laughs> like nothing I'd ever seen. It. I didn't it even know that's what best, that was. <laughs> best, best night ever. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, in, in fact, one of our songs, uh, you know, the, uh, is is uh, essentially a direct Wendell Berry, you know, we, we incorporate, you know, um, Leavings is, is uh, a couple of Wendell Berry poems put together. And uh, we love that incorporate. I mean, that is where it's all at is, you know, spoken and sung and, you know, music and, and, and some, you know, music without lyrics, without lyrics and all of that together. It, the, the, the more that you can interweave those variations, I think the more interesting it becomes. Yeah. Before the um, COVID pandemic started, we had a plan to take a tour with. Uh, yeah. So close. <laughs> oh, I, I so hope that can happen, Jana. Yeah. So it was, I was, so looking forward to getting to I was like oh there's a girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I've never done touring so that was a great idea for me but we were gonna have um a couple of storytellers and a couple of poets and a couple of songwriters and and we called it word and song and we had a few places that were lined up to book us and then everything closed <laughs> so we didn't get well, to do it can you not do that still? I mean, <laughs> even even via this kind of medium where, you know, you put on a show and. Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We just haven't put our heads together yet to figure that out. But I think that would be a wonderful kind of performance to to experience. We'd have to clean up our playroom. <laughs> it can well, be done. thank you all for being with us. Uh, and we now need to move into uh, segment three. So thank you so much uh, for sharing both your music uh, and your poetry. And uh, look forward, hopefully, to some time that we can uh, talk again. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, David. Anytime. We appreciate it. We are now in segment three, and Chris Yokel joins us. Welcome, Chris. Uh, thank you for being with me tonight. Uh, in this segment, we're going to get to hear your poems and then a poem from Jana. Uh, but let's start with letting you, Chris, tell a little bit about how you connected with Foundling House. Sure. Um, uh, so uh, I connected with Foundling House through Jana, who I've known for many years through another um, I guess, uh, faith and arts organization, uh, the rabbit room, uh, based out of Nashville. Um, so, uh, we're both part of that community and have been for, uh, for a long time and have just connected over writing and, uh, and poetry. And so, yeah, when Fowling House, uh, was starting, uh, Jana invited me to, uh, to, yeah, to share some share some poems for publication. So I've been happy to do that and uh uh yeah, be part of the process. Well let's hear let's hear one of your poems. Um which one are you gonna do for us? Sure. Uh so I'm gonna read one called On the Problem of Evil. And uh well, I'll just read it first, and then if you want to ask me about the background of that, I'll talk about that. <laughs> Uh, so this is on the problem of evil. He told me about the horrors he'd seen. 
The fellow soldier's blood and bone he wore as he dragged him to safety. The man graying out from a gunshot wound. The little girl whose skin peeled off her arm like a glove in the few seconds her grandfather turned away from the machine. The junkie so strung out he asked for the sheet back that they wrapped his dead mother in. I wonder if he believes in God, could believe in God, after all the senseless misery he's seen. It makes me wonder if I believe in God, could believe in God, outside of my cocoon of middle-class comfort. Strong, good poem. Thank uh, you. So yeah, tell us about the background. Yeah, so um, so I'm a uh, uh, an English professor, as I was saying before we started uh, at a at a community college uh, up here in uh, Massachusetts, and um, a few years ago I was teaching uh, an intro to lit class, which was one of the classes I teach a lot. And uh, being at a community college, you get all kinds of students. Every everyone from kids straight out of high school to 20 somethings finally um, getting around to college to uh, to middle-aged people retraining themselves and also a lot of veterans and so I had a in this class I had a, a guy who is a, a military veteran and a, and a former cop um, but he's actually about my age um, and I, he had I guess he had gotten injured on the job and he 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 couldn't be a cop anymore and he had to, had to, you know, retrain. Um, so we kind of just hit it off. Um, you know, it's kind of the weird thing about being a younger professor in a school that often has older students, you know, we're about the same age. And even though that I was his professor, um, we kind of hit it off and he'd come and hang out in my office sometimes during office hours. And, um, one time, yeah, we were in my office just talking and he just started telling me stories. Um, about being in Iraq and also, um, you know, just stories of being a police officer. And um, it was just kind of like horror story after horror story, just like really, you know, um, deeply, you know, difficult stories to hear. But you know, this was just, this was just part of his, his everyday life, his job. Um, and I can remember, it was funny. I remember him at one point, um, you know, saying to me something like, you know, when I look out at, out there kind of like, I have a big window in my office and, you know, just kind of looking out at the world. He's like, when I look out there at the world, I see a dark place. Um, and just, you know, based on his life experience. And it's just, I think like, it just, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that conversation after, after it happened. Um, you know, here we were, you know, two guys of a similar age, um, but sort of could not have had more different life experiences. You know, I grew up sort of uh, uh, in a Christian home, sort of very sheltered my whole life. Like I, and, you know, basically been in academia, this very kind of sheltered existence. Um and it just kind of made me think about that idea of like, yeah, um, 
like how much of your your faith or what you believe or what you say you believe is like due to simply your upbringing or the circumstances of your life and you know what would you know what would you believe the same things if your life experience had been different um and so that's that's kind of you know so the the first part of the poem is is just trying to provide some snippets of like the stories he told you know, think the some of the stories that really resonated in my head again both of his military experience and his experience as a police officer um and then you know at the end of the poem it kind of comes to like meditating on like you know his sort of like you know we never really got to the conversation of like where he was say spiritually or whether he believed in god or not or um but like i said you know it made me wonder like could a person like that even begin to believe in you know god or divine being or you know a loving powerful being and then it made you know made me think about you know if i was if i wasn't who i was in my sort of upbringing in my experience in my very sheltered life would i you know be in in a similar place but then like the last thing i'll say about the poem like and i I did this very deliberately and you may have noticed like, you know, so the title is on the nature of evil. And I deliberately made the title of the poem. I wanted it to sound like the title of a philosophical treatise or something. Cause in, you know, my life in academia. So I actually got my bachelor's degree in philosophy. Right. And so one of the great questions of philosophy, of course, is the problem of evil. And, you know, you can read so many, books and treatises and you know all the great philosophers have like delved into this question right and like um and you can get to a point where you can treat it very academically and i know at certain points in my life i've treated it very academically or you know in theology we talk we have this term uh theodicy which is all about the idea of like uh, where we come up with the defense of God in relation to the problem of evil. Like how can we have a, how can you have an all powerful, all loving God, but still have evil. And so various traditions create what they call these theodicies, like defenses of like, well, this is how it can work. And so, um, so like even in, in our, in, in our religious traditions or, you know, Christian tradition or theology or faith, you know, we, it can sometimes be easy to make this a very make this issue very philosophical. And again, like I said, I think maybe even for a good portion of my life, it was easy to do that. You know, just treat the problem of evil as like just another philosophical problem. But um, but I, I wanted to do that in the title to contrast it with the very visceral, horrific, you know, stuff that the student was talking to me about right because at that point it's no longer a philosophical problem right like this was his day job where he was seeing so much evil and so much pain and suffering um so so yeah so i wanted to kind of contrast the very dry way like almost like almost like set people up <laughs> in the beginning of the the poem with the title and then just kind of like almost punch you in the gut in the actual poem itself of just like, you know, we can treat this, you can treat the idea of evil in a very detached way, but actually for some people, you know, it's a very real blood and guts type of issue. So, 
so that's what I was trying to sort of wrestle with in, in the poem. Well, as you did in your own personal life. Um, yeah. How did yeah. you, how did you come down? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I'm at a place now where I, uh, I don't really know um, exactly how it all works out. Um, I'm less certain about my philosophical answer. Good answer. Um, I guess I'm more certain, I guess, yeah, and I'm more certain of the idea that whatever we go through, God is, God is with us in Christ because, you know, as Hebrews talks about, Christ took on flesh to suffer with us. That's, that's about the only theodicy I have left anymore. <laughs> Is, is the incarnation of Jesus that if, if nothing else, God knows what suffering is like. Um, but yeah, how that all works out in terms of God's justice and mercy and predestination and all that, I I, uh, <laughs> I think I've abandoned that quest, the quest for answers in that realm a, a little bit uh, at this point. So I guess, yeah, in the way, in the way, you know, even since then, I've, it's interesting, yeah, how now reading the poem again, sort of seeing where I, because I, I think I'm, I think I'm even in a, di in a different place now than even when I wrote the poem in a place of like, maybe less answers, more trust, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that, that's even interesting. Yeah. To think about that, how like you, you write a poem and then even, you know, like I wrote that poem several years ago now and, you know, here I am reading it again now and thinking about like, oh, like just thinking about where I am now, right? You know, my mental state or just the way I'm thinking. It's it's interest. It's an interesting experiment. <laughs> I guess well, that's that's the curse of po being a poet is you write things down permanently and then you you come back to them later and you're like, wait, do I still? <laughs> that's the power of living art, though. Yeah. That's that's. Yeah, it's true, but maybe true. maybe that's evidence that the poem did its work on you, you know. Hmm. Yeah. True. It planted a little seed <laughs> in in myself that kept. Yeah. Well, because the poem ends right with that kind of question, right? It's it it's it's left open, like I'm wondering about myself, right? So it maybe it continued yeah. to knock around in my own head. I mean, that's, that's part of why I write poetry, honestly, is to process some of the, I mean, to me, um, poetry is a way for me to wrestle a lot with spiritual questions. It's, it's almost a form of prayer in some ways mm -hmm. for me. It's a way that I wrestle with some of these issues because it's, it's, it's the language that resonates, um, from the, I think the truest part of me, if that makes sense, um, uh, sometimes I find it hard to pray in certain ways that, uh, that maybe, you know, we're taught to pray in our, our own traditions or even, you know, in certain traditions you have, you know, liturgical prayers and stuff, which I think are beautiful at times. But um, yeah, for, for me personally, like some of the most, my most honest prayers are actually just me writing poems, <laughs> which of course has a biblical precedent, right? Um, you know, that's, that's the uh, Psalms. Yeah. Um, so. Well, and and the prophets sang their prophecy. So that's true. Well, that, yeah. that's a good segue to Jenna, uh, because she said something similar on her website uh, 
about uh, uh, using writing as a means of processing and making sense of things. So, uh, Jana, why don't you read out your poem, Hesed? Okay. And I don't have the guttural pronunciation of this word, Hesed. Hesed. There's, I think, more snot I need when I say that. <laughs> but anyway, the title is Hesed or Hesed. Growing up, God with my heavenly father, a far-off bearded old man with white throne and scepter. But now I see him as earthly and also mother. For who else suffers the grief of bearing life but a woman with a babe in the cave of her belly? Who else knows what it is to have an infant scream for food then reject your bare offered breast? Can a man understand the betrayal of children seeking independence? rejecting the bodies that nurtured and sustained them so many months as if they know the real meaning of love. Hmm. I like the fact that you draw upon that very powerful uh, term, uh, you know, that God's profound, uh, steadfast love. Yeah. Uh, but I also like uh, how you do draw upon the, uh, the feminine image of God. Hmm. Uh, since we are, created in the image of god uh we've always understood that to imply both male and female yeah so i uh grew up in protestant baptist churches and we did not talk about a sacred feminine at all um god was uh presented as very as he is in the bible as a father um but uh when i got to have kids myself it was i needed that sacred feminine um idea and um then i did find it it is in the bible it just wasn't emphasized in the particular uh setting that i was grown up brought up in what about you Denise? yeah i had a very similar understanding you know at the beginning you talk about god being the old man you know out have always, whenever I tell my story of how I came to Christ, I always tell people that I saw him as an old man with a clipboard mm. with a list of mm. sins, and he was just checking mine yeah. off. Oh, there she goes. Whoop, that was a big one. He got that one good, you know. And I saw him just as an angry old man. And um, when you read your poem and you talk about, you know, the feminine side, I mean, that's something that I would have really struggled with when I was younger and I think that's the beauty of poetry and that imagery because it kind of breaks through the shells that we put up and it forces you to think oh that that could be right that could be accurate you know because the art breaks through our our self-imposed um defenses that we put up because we're afraid of losing what we think we know yeah yeah Mm. I also need that feminine side. I think about when he talks about you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long to gather you like a mother gathers her chicks, you know, and that's just such a motherly thing that he would say. And I've said that to my own children before. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Well, I am very, very thankful uh, for each of you and the work that you do. Um, in bringing together art and faith 
uh, and the courage it takes uh, to express doubt, to express lament, uh, to raise questions. Um, because as, as each of us have experienced, uh, church isn't often a place where you can do that. Uh, mm. People fear all of those things. And, uh, and so present uh, a context in which uh, we don't get to struggle with these kind of things as we are growing and experiencing God uh, and growing in Christ. So thank you uh, for the work that you do, and thank you for Foundling House. Uh, and uh, I hope that um, it is something that grows and um, uh, continues to thrive. So blessings to each of you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for interviewing us, David. Yeah, well, and I, I'm delighted. Uh, and hopefully we'll do more of this. Okay. Uh, you know, we'll do it again. So um, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. You can learn more about each of my guests on the blog spot for this episode please go to each of their websites and enjoy the art that they each produce. The intro and outro music for this episode comes from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come that is on the Porter's Gate Worship Project's Work Song album and is used by permission by the Porter's Gate Work Project. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel, Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth.